Hello, welcome to Studio One. If you like what you see, like and subscribe and comment. Everything's good? Yes, okay. I can hear you. Perfect. Um, to start, uh, no, my name is Bill Osmond. Um, it's really cool. Uh, I discovered your music, I swear, on Tuesday. And so the fact that we're like talking like 72 hours later is so sick. I know, I was so happy when you emailed me. I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't done a, a Zoom call like this in a minute. I'm still trying to like get used to it. Yeah. I feel like COVID has me for such a loop. I'm not used to doing things over the computer, but it's efficient. I will say that. Mm. Me neither, because uh, I'm like based out in Toronto. So we started kind of our lockdowns last March. So yeah. I've essentially exclusively been doing Zoom interviews and it's still, you know, even though it's been a year, it's still like, still weird. Oh yeah, no, I have a bunch of friends in Toronto that I was supposed to go make music with over like last summer and then I couldn't go because of COVID. And so I still have yet to get up there. So I'm excited for like my first chance to really come visit Toronto and see everybody, um, hopefully over the summer, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, so with Studio One, you know, I've written for like Clash and like other publications, but I really wanted to build a platform where I get to speak to like artists that I really want to, and right. to, to really highlight, you know, Toronto artists as well. So, you know, thank you so much for, you know, getting on. Um, before yeah, we, of course. Before we get started, can you briefly introduce yourself and then we'll get started. Um, so I am Ethel Kane. I am from Florida. I started making music, I think, Probably 2017, um, I was trying to get into film school and it was very difficult so I started making music in the meantime to kind of keep myself busy and I just wound up loving it and I started teaching myself how to produce on GarageBand and then moved up to Logic and then eventually Ableton um, and I've just been kind of like having fun with it and just kind of accidentally fell into where I'm at now, just kind of met people who introduced me to people who introduced me to people and you know, it's just kind of been like a fun, crazy little journey um, that I'm enjoying the heck out of. For sure. And, um, you know, before we begin, you know, how I know we just a little briefly talked about, you know, COVID. How have you been like, you know, like where are you at right now? How, how has quarantine been for you, you know, like outside of music? How has it been for you? Um, so I don't really do that much anyways. So I... Quarantine didn't really affect me too bad. You know, most of the time I just like hang out with my roommates and go for walks in the woods. So I don't, I'm, I'm not yeah. really a big crowd person. Um, but it definitely, I didn't realize how much like COVID had affected me until about six months in. And I realized I'm like, it's so different. Like you can't just go to the store like you used to be able to or go to the movies or like, it's like even if you don't do that much already, it's like the ability to be able to do it if you want to do it is what you're really missing. So it's been funny. I am, um, like I said, I lived in Florida, which was like the COVID hotspot for a hot minute yeah. last summer. Um, so I was excited to be able to move out. I'm, I live in Indiana currently. Um, I live in a town with about 1500 people. COVID barely even exists here, like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but I'm excited to move back down south now that I've been like, we're almost a year into into quarantine and it's like, okay, I I already had COVID, didn't like it, but I survived. Wow. And I'm like, okay, I want to go back down south now that I'm like fearing for my life anymore. Yeah, I, I read, uh, you know, 
after leaving Florida, you know, you started to appreciate it a lot more. Talk yeah. about talk about growing up in you know Florida and the small town things that, and I love the fact that it's kind of like embedded in your music too. Yeah. Um. So it was it was nice. I feel like I had a pretty good childhood. Um. You know, definitely very simple. You know, you go to church on Sunday mornings. You hang out with like your friends. You spend a lot of time playing outside. You know, my sister and I would play from like sun up to sundown outside just using our imagination, you know, when you grow up in small towns, especially in the South, I feel like everything is very like behind the times. So like, you know, I was a kid in the two thousands, but everything there was very like nineties. Like yeah. we did not have, I grew up with VHS. We didn't get the DVD player till I was like probably six or seven. Um, so it, it's, it's very, it's just kind of like permanent nostalgia. You know, I, I grew up half, half of the time I grew up at my grandma's house. Um, so I was, I was constantly over there and it's just like back and forth between your parents' house and your grandma's house. You know, we all lived in trailers. It was just a very simple, you know, family oriented life. Summers were hot, spend them with your family. The holidays were nice. You know, like I said, you're in church every Sunday morning. There's just this very strong sense of community yeah. and family. And so it's it's very, it's very, what's the word? It's very social oriented. Um, you know, you, you look after each other. Um, so I really liked it. I definitely, up until I probably hit my teen years, it was, it was a really good time. I really... You know, we didn't have much, but we had what we needed, and it was enough. Enough, you know. It teaches yeah. you to appreciate things. So, my it was definitely nice. I I do miss it. I look back on my childhood fondly. And I know you have um, like roots in the choir and things like that. But for you personally, you know, I know you've even dabbled. You know, Garage Band. At what point did you kind of reach shift where you sort of felt like I can do music? Was it a song you kind of made early on? Or was it people listening to your music? At what point did you kind of have like a breakthrough? Like, this is more than a hobby. Like, I can make it into a career. At what point did you kind of see that? Um, so I've, like you said, I've always been in and out of music, you know, in choir and theater. I, I wrote an entire album in my bedroom when I was 15 because I wanted to be just like my idol, Florence Welch. I was like, I wrote a whole album. It never went anywhere. I just wrote it on the piano and never recorded it. Um, cause you know, even the most supportive of parents, like, um, most people will tell you, you should get a job doing something that will make you money that you can, you know, make a living off of. So it's always kind of like that discouragement, um, of get a real job. Yeah. And so I kind of, I toyed around with the idea of being a graphic designer with, I wanted to go to film school, all this different stuff. Um, but when I was 19, I, I told my best friend, I said, I want to be a musician. I want to be famous someday. I want to be a musician. And she was like, go make a song. She's like, shut up and go make a song. Yeah. So I opened GarageBand and I made a song and it was called The Altar. I recorded it all in one night. It was on the first mixtape that I put out that I have long since washed off the internet. Yeah. But um, it was after that that I was like, 
I'm going to be a musician. I was like, I'm going to be a musician. I had probably a hundred followers on Instagram. I had no friends, no connections, no nothing. It was literally just me in my bedroom. I recorded my entire first mixtape using my Apple earpod microphone. Like it was so booty, but, um, but I did it because I was like, this is what I want and I'm going to make it happen. And I spent about two solid years working on music, making music every day, putting it out for an audience of like zero people. I had like a couple of my friends who would support me um, and listen to my music. But yeah, it was about two years of making music to literally an empty room. And I think it was like 50% perseverance, 50% straight stubbornness that I just kept making music. And I was like, I'm going to make it, goddammit. I was like, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to, like, I'm going to do something big with my life. And I've always told myself, I was like, I'm going to be famous not because I think that I'm just, like, all that. I am going to be famous because I'm not going to stop until I, like, make a living out of, of music, being a musician. And um, and somehow I just wound up here. So I guess I guess I did something right. Yeah. And, you know, through that entire process, I know you had, you know, another project before that as you know with your different name things like that when did you decide on Ethel Kane and why did you think you know your song bruises why did that feel like the first song to kind of introduced uh yourself into this new uh person you know that's kind of a interesting level yeah. why that song um so my previous project White Silas um it was kind of like an experimental period because I started off making music that was like heavily choral, but then also kind of like electronic. I was like, I wanted to be an electronic producer, which I thought was a lot more difficult than I expected. So White Silas was kind of a weird transitional experimental phase where I was like going out of making electronic music into kind of making that grungier, more lo-fi alternative kind of sound. Um, and so it was it was kind of me just playing around with whatever yeah sound i was enjoying which is kind of where the name white silas came from it was mental gymnastics but it was like i kind of like the idea of like white light which was my first single as white silas and i was like white light has all the colors of the rainbow in it so you can be whatever you want i don't, I don't know <laughs> yeah it was a but um but when i finally kind of like settled on a sound i um I put out my my first EP as White Silas, Sad Music for Sad People, and it was a much, it was a further push into that alternative sound. It was like guitars, and it was kind of more alternative. And so I kind of spent the next six months after I put out that EP, just kind of like holding that sound, really getting into the nitty gritty of like the American Gothic aesthetic and then yeah. I was like okay I feel like I have a better grip on what I want to do I have a better understanding of what I want from myself as an artist it's time to like rebrand and like really heavy hit this aesthetic now so I changed my name over the summer put out bruises um bruises I wrote all in one day I wrote and recorded it all in one day um I just kind of sat on it for a week and then I was like I wanted to put out something to go ahead and like claim my artist profile on Spotify um, yeah. as Ethel Kane and just kind of get something established and I just liked the song and I was like it was it, it's just what it was like that week I was I was having a lot of fears about I was making plans at the time to move to New York City with my best friend um 
you know, it's just like getting ready to leave Florida. A lot of stuff was happening. I was just barely starting to get buzz as an artist. And I was like, I was kind of transitioning out of being a nobody and being, you know, wanting my dreams to happen to starting to see them happening. And I, it was very scary. And yeah, just kind of came out of that. And I was like, oh, I like it. It's sad. It's cute. People liked the people that I kind of showed a preview to. They really liked it. So I put it out and wound up performing it a month later um, at my very first show as Ethel Kane. Um, and it just kind of like snowballed from there. Yeah. And with the two projects you, you know, you would release, um, with those two encompassing like all the imagery and all the art and things like that, did you kind of feel like I'm kind of figuring it out because it all the things that you're doing work so perfectly together. Um, did you sort of feel that way when you were releasing those EPs, like it's coming together? Most definitely. I I try to bite off as much as I know I can chew and then a little bit more. I try to just push myself a little bit as I go. Um, and so with these projects, it was kind of like, what can I do right now? I was like, I'm still teaching myself how to produce. I don't know much about videography, even though I want to be a filmmaker. Yeah. So it was just kind of like, what can I do right now with what I have, with the knowledge I have, the resources? And so it was kind of like, let me do just this little dream pop project with like these nostalgic visuals. It was, an, it was exceptionally hot Florida summer that year. And there was like carpet bed and then golden age, you know, the, the first EPs as Ethel Kane, I was like, let me just start building the basic foundation of Ethel Kane, which is the ethereal vocals, the old Kodak photos of me as a kid, you know, let me build up this, this imagery yeah. as an all American southern girl growing up you know nowhere near the lap of luxury you know kind of that that failed american dream aesthetic you know i got a lot of comparisons to lana del rey early on which i always thought was funny because i feel like lana del rey is very about the glamour and the glitz and the opulence of america yeah and i was like i'm very much the opposite of that it's like broke bitches and trailer parks but like for real um and but that's what I wanted I was like you know the majority of America is made up of like poor people and like that's what America is to me it's like that small sense of community and people taking care of each other and watching out for your own and so that was that was that was very clear to me that's what Ethel Kane was about from the very beginning and so I was like let me just go ahead and start establish this and build on it from there yeah and there's so much honesty to it too because you know when artists kind of start embodying you know like a character or like uh, they start adding things that really hone on to the music for you it goes to the roots of you know your early roots with the church and things like that so it works perfectly but um yeah one of the things that really drew me to you was you know your vocals and i saw a video of you performing i think golden age at uh i think chicago or one of those uh, shows at what point, you know, I think somebody had to have told you at some point, at like, what point did someone kind of tell you, like, your voice, like, there's something really strong with your voice? Because, yeah, for me, that was, like, the hook. I'm like, this is, like, really, like, amazing. So at what point, you know, I know this kind of hard to humble that down a bit, but, like, at what point did you start to feel, like, a strength with your voice? Um, 
Definitely when I was in choir as a kid, like I was in choir as early as three and you know, I definitely, I wasn't great. You know, I, I wasn't like a child prodigy by any means, but you know, I liked it. I enjoyed it. And you know, I was, I was one of the few friends of mine in choir, like the kids choir who really took it seriously. So we just enjoyed singing and you know, all the old ladies in church would come up and tell my mom and be like, Oh my God, she's such a good singer. You know, she's so, she's just got the cutest little voice of an angel, you know, like yeah. that, that your, your mom and her friends will say to like hype you up. And so I always just, for me, I, I never thought that I was, you know, a good singer by any means. I just enjoyed it. It, you know, brings me joy to sing. Um, and I, I never really could sing the music that I liked growing up. You know, a lot of the vocalists that I listened to growing up were like Florence Welch, very strong, powerful vocals. And, you know, they um, have a lot more strength than I do. And that's why I kind of stick with that very ethereal style because that's kind of like all my voice is really meant for. But I was noticing a lack of that kind of sound in music. Um, you know, I love Inya and like those very like, yeah. me kind of sounding vocals. And I feel like a lot of the musicians I was hearing was like very about like how like the runs you can hit, the belts, the, the powerhouse vocals. And I was like, well, I can't do that. So I'm gonna do what I know how to do. Um, you know, just kind of, I, and as I progressed, I just kind of like figured out my range and tried to stay within it. Um, so I, I try to break out sometimes and do something a little bit outside my comfort zone. There's a lot of more like rock vocals on this EP um, that I'm putting out soon. But um, it always comes back to like the choir vocals. That's where I got my start. That's what I feel most confident doing. And it, it's definitely where I kind of was like, okay, this is my niche. This is what I need to fill. So it will always go back to the kids choir. Yeah. And on that point, you know, when I heard Golden Age, you know, for the first time, which was like three days ago, um, you reminded me of Enya. And then I read your underdog, underground underdog interview, and you cited her. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly because, yeah, you don't really hear the sound too often. And what I love, too, about your music is like it's very minimalistic and like there's not a lot of lyrics. But like when you listen to your music, it's like kind of like an experience with, you know, how much I know I can I never got into the production credits, but how important for you is the production element? I know a friend of yours, Yawave, I think helps too with a bit like that. And as well, you said when you connected with him, that's kind of I think you're about to almost give up, and you sort of kind of you, you guys coming together kind of help. For you, okay. how much you know production has to be so important to your music because it really sounds like an experience. Oh yeah, so um, I produce everything myself because I am very nitpicky. Um, every occasion I will have um, a song that I do with another artist, like Knuckle Velvet on Golden Age, um, Yahweh produced, and then like Michelle Pfeiffer, Aaron produced. But for the most part, um, everything else I do, I, I write it, I record it, I mix it, I produce it, I do everything um, because I, I, my philosophy is if you want something right, do it. You're, if you want something done right to do it yourself, yourself. Yeah. and um you know like with the anything it's like i there's a very certain niche a very specific intersection of music that i wanted to hear that nobody else was creating and i was i didn't know any producers when i first started making music so i was like if i want this sound i'm gonna have to do it myself yeah so that's kind of how i 
got started with it and then you know my production has definitely evolved which is another reason I love doing it all myself because when I look back at my discography it's a very clear-cut progression of my skills and my techniques as a producer you know I, I go back and I listen and I'm like I remember when I used to use this reverb plugin I remember when I used to use this program like I can listen to the song and be like I remember when I used to make music like this I remember the thought process that went into it it's like a scrapbook um but I would definitely think the production is pretty important but I like to keep it minimalistic and raw I feel like a lot of the music I grew up listening to is it was not heavily pop inspired. It was not, you know, all the little, the beat boops and the this and the that. I, yeah. I, I don't really have that kind of an ear. It's just like you record the guitar, you record the piano, you record the vocals. It's all very simple. I like it to sound like it's recorded just in a room, like as though you were performing it live. Um, Golden Age was a bit more experimental. I definitely incorporated some like kind of like trap elements because through working with Yahweh, you know, he made kind of more of that like kind of sound loud rap music at the time. He makes yeah. something completely different now, but um, I just kind of like to incorporate little elements of things that I like and put it all together. So that's why, you know, when I try to describe my record, which is the big project I've been working on since 2018, it's like, it's got like, big live drums and there's like country inspired vocals but the vocals are also ethereal and then you have like old country inspired lyrics but then there's like almost an r&b element to the to the beats but then they're like live drums instead of you know studio drums. it's yeah. like all this whole big ordeal but it's just like i feel like everything fits at the end of the day you know i just i take my favorite aspects from all these different dramas and mash it together and i feel like that is essentially what creates the ethel game sound yeah um, so I totally am bullshitting everything I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just throwing shit at the wall and hoping that something will stick, but it is fun. I do enjoy myself and I love producing and doing everything the wrong way because then it just teaches me what I like and what I don't like. Yeah. No, you definitely, definitely cracked it. And I, and I feel like a lot of people that like are familiar with the kind of the soundscapes will really get drawn into it because I definitely was. Now, I know you recently, recently dropped Michelle Pfeiffer. I read that um, being in LA and being at the studio, you finally felt like you're kind of being seen as an artist. Uh, can you talk about that? Like, how did how did that feel? I guess. Um. So, it's I have to like preface it by saying it's funny. One of the first songs Yahweh and I ever made is called Florida Heat, and the opening line is "I never wanted to go to California." And it was funny because I never wanted to go to California. I don't really like LA. I'm not a huge fan of it. I have a lot of good friends there, but it just doesn't really do it for me yeah but even despite that the first time in LA was downright magical I was like oh my god that's the Hollywood side I was like I'm on Hollywood Boulevard I'm like in it was crazy it was it was loud you know it's yeah. the first LA experience and I you know I was I was broke as shit I literally got off the plane off of my spirit flight that my friend paid for had to fly me out I slept on her couch I was like I was like at the end of my rope as an artist. I was like about to lose my job because COVID was happening. I was like, I, I'm in LA. I've got to make something work because I'm about to like, I like can't do this anymore. I'm yeah. like on my last legs. And so I went there as like this like starving artist wearing a pair of jeans that I found on the floor of an abandoned house, like, like held together by like scotch tape. 
and I'm like at this like rooftop five-star restaurant meeting with this label executive who's like I love your stuff I yeah here's a your deal and I it was just like the weirdest fever dream where I was like is this really happening it, it was so unreal and they were like okay well yeah um here's breakfast it's on us we want to sign you and give you all this money and you know you know here's an uber go to the studio go hang out with Aaron and I was like okay and yeah. I pull up to the studio and Aaron and his brother crank out some guitar work and we're like hop in the booth do something and I was like okay and I just wrote Michelle Pfeiffer and it was just like all of a sudden it just kind of like came out and I was like it was the weirdest situation of my life it was so crazy and I think that's why Michelle Pfeiffer is so unique to my discography because it was it was a weirdo situation that spawned it um and I loved it I I you know it kind of was just like a little fun we're in the studio together let's just do something but I listened to the demo for 12 hours straight on the plane ride home like from the time I left the hotel in LA to the time that my friend picked me up in Jacksonville, I listened to that song on repeat. And I was like, wow, this is it. I was like, I feel seen. I feel like I'm no longer an artist trying to be validated in the sea of other online artists just trying to make it. I feel like I am seen as Ethel Kane. I feel like people are treating me with like respect. I feel like I'm being seen as an artist. And yeah. so, I asked Aaron, I was like, yo, can I put this on the EP? It's a really special song to me. And he was like, go for it. So it really did shape the rest of the EP. And it it was my first opportunity to feel like I could just sit back and make music that I wanted to make instead of feeling like, okay, this EP is like the make or break between people looking at me and being like, okay, yeah, she knows what she's doing or, oh, she just wants to be a musician. And so... I feel a bit more secure now, and Michelle Pfeiffer was definitely the turning point for it. Yeah. So, and I know you probably don't want to give too much away with the EP, but one of the names that really stuck out for me, you know, who kind of also has this like haunting voice and haunting soundscapes, you know, with Wicked Face, uh, Springs Eternal, um, you know, this record Suffer On, ridiculous how good that oh, is. Yeah. How I don't really want to give too much away, but how was it kind of collaborating with him? Because I know his voice kind of similar as yours is so special and unique oh yeah he um he's so cool i love him i met him by chance through another friend my friend nicole dollinganger who's also from toronto um she um i met her through instagram and then through her met wicca and um how did I get there? Oh, I flew. I flew up to Chicago um, <laughs> to see him in concert um, after Golden Age dropped, like literally two weeks after Golden Age came out. I, um, you know, we'd connected on Twitter and I was like, hey, I'm coming up to see my friends. I'm coming to your show. He was like, oh, sick. So we hung out in the green room. Um, I like stood backstage and like while he was performing and he shouted out Golden Age while he was on stage. So he was just like super friendly, super sweet, like just so willing to like promote me and kind of put my name out there, which I'm like still so grateful for. It was through Wicca that I met Aaron, which is the whole reason I even have a label now. So it was, I kind of like, Oh, Wicca, the fact that I'm wearing that right now, but, um, yeah, he's just like super sweet, super down to earth. Um, 
one of the realest people I've met in the industry so far. And so when I was working on the EP, I kind of wanted to like say thank you. So I sent him that demo for God's Country, super bare bones at the time. And I was like, hey, do you want to get on this? And he was like, of course. Um, and so he just sent me back some vocals. I kind of let him have that and write it. And I told him, I was like, I don't want you to just like do a verse. Like I want you to record like your verse and then some harmonies and then record some chorus vocals. Like I want you to be throughout the whole song. I want yeah. your vocals. And I want it to be like a duet. I don't just want like a feature. And so it was, it was really cool. And he was like, this is kind of an interesting opportunity for me to do something I don't usually do. So I feel like it was kind of like a funny, like meet in the middle situation where we were both kind of like doing something new. Um, but yeah, he's so good. His verse, so good. Um, also really excited that he's on my very first 10 minute long track ever. Um, cause the song is 10 minutes and it's just, it's just this big Southern, like American Gothic, like ballad. And he sounds so great on it. And it was, it was really fun, you know, working with him back and forth on it. And I'm super glad he's on the project. Like I, I knew I only really wanted one feature on the EP and I knew I wanted it to be him. So I'm so glad that he agreed to it. Um, but yeah, he's super cool. I adore him. That's the cool thing too. Uh, Golden Age, I think is a six minute track and it doesn't feel like it. So that's a, you know, it's really special. Even the when you know, I hear this 10 minute one, it probably won't feel like it. That's how special it probably will be. But, um, you know, near the end of interviews, I usually would ask like an artist, you know, Oh, you have tour dates coming up, or things are coming up, but with COVID, you know, things have changed. So for you, you know, I know um, the EP comes out in April, so since we're kind of talking before it comes out, you know, what's how do you feel right now about it, and what's it going to feel like when it's finally released? Um, I'm, like, happy with it. I am, like, the most last-minute worker ever, so I'm literally thinning, finishing up the mixes this weekend. Um so still not quite at the end like almost there but i feel good about it i feel like you know my 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 debut record is my uh passion project is what i've been working on all this time but i like inbred i'm i'm proud of it i'm excited about what it's turned into it's a, it's another weird little kind of experimental step out of my comfort zone um trying out kind of a new sound so I'm happy with it. I think people will like it. Um, and I'm excited to kind of see where it takes me, you know, over the next year before the record comes out. So I'm, I'm excited to see kind of like what doors it opens up, who, who all it reaches. Um, and I'm just overall excited to see or excited like for it to come out. I, I love release night. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Um, it's been about a year working on it now and scrapping songs over and over and over and over and writing new ones. Like, so it, it's been a journey and I can't wait for it to be out finally and for everybody to hear it. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, just on a final note, like there are like a few times where I'll like discover an artist and immediately I'll be so like entranced and like listening to all the music and like, wow, this is so special. So the fact that, you know, we've connected so quickly uh, on this like musical journey, because you know, at the end of the day, like, we're all kind of fans of music, right? So, like, just to connect, you know, uh, I wish you all the best. Your music is amazing, and I cannot wait to hear this uh, this EP. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to interview again and kind of watch, you know, you, pro you progress as an artist. Because, yeah, you know, I think with the whole, like, Enya niche thing, uh, 
eventually people will kind of flock to it, but, you know, I think the specialty of it is, like, if you kind of get it early on, it's kind of like, oh, this is really, really special. So I'm really glad I'm among, like, the few that are seeing it early on. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you reaching out to me. I appreciate the chance to come on and talk about the project. Um, and, yeah, I also am excited to see where it goes and hope to connect with you again in the future. For sure. Till next time, for sure. Absolutely. Bye. Take care. Studio One.